And you are here on People Have the Power, where this week I am joined by Public Enemies Chuck D. What a great conversation about George Clinton, the old days of New York rap scene, Beastie Boys, his favorite protest songs. He has a lot of thoughts about this election and everything going on in America in 2020, as you would expect. It's a great honor to have on the show, Chuck D. This is what I do, right? Not like I'm digging, not like I'm digging ditches. Well, you know what's so funny? I appreciate your attitude of saying this is what I do, because yeah, I, no, for I have a lot, a lot, a lot of artist friends, and you and I have spoken multiple times in the past, and yes, a lot sir. of people do not feel this is what they do. They feel this is a necessary evil from you know making the music, which is what they do. Well. I'm not warm to to the apparatus and the gadget aspect of 2020 Zooming. Uh, Because because simple, it's like everybody doesn't have to act together on the same page. So it's like, you're a musicologist, so it's like the battle of the speeds. It's like, what fucking speed is this shit called? 12 12 and a third (laughs) is 45. 33 fucking 78 it's like give me one fucking speed man but it's like zoom youtube somebody's coming to me no we don't do that we do some kind of stream cast sky cast i'm like yo man so that that's tiring um but if you know nothing beats the fucking phone and 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 not everybody's on facetime so you know google and chrome and all that so we're going through a battle with other platforms in order to get the, the interview done. And sometimes the easiest way to do it is just like, call me on the fucking phone. Yeah, I feel but, you on that. But, it's funny but it doesn't record you the same, though. It doesn't record you the same, but... Well, but it's damn. funny because I feel you on that because it's... I mean, look, but that's part of the 2020s. We've all had to adapt. You know, I do two podcasts and I was doing all of them in person. And, and when all this shit hit, it's like, okay, cool. Like, it's funny. I was joking with someone today. I don't know that anybody will ever do another in-person interview again because you realize you don't have to anymore, you know? Like, I used to do everything in person. I haven't done an in-person interview since March. I don't know when there will be another one. There was a certain activity and a a warmth and engagement. Um, Yeah, there there was a a certain engagement, you know, into that um, person-to-person um, oh, it's like it's just like being in front of an audience and, a, and, a, and performance in a crowd. It's just a difference that you can do and turn an interview into a conversation. Um, but like you said, it, it's 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 actually it is the way it is. And what we're seeing is the conversion of or the trans transition from citizens into netizens. And yeah. we 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 know that the gadgets out there, the intermediaries, that it's it's finally has crossed over to that area where a person could pay a physical price for making an, a, a crime in netizenship, 
and there's netizenship. You can serve a physical price for something criminal in the netizen world. That's when you know that you could sometimes have fascism sneak into the middle of that. Or a lot of different ills in society resurface in new ways. So that's what we have to be um, privy to and aware of and, 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 and figure out how to stay awake as possible no matter how it numbs you down. That's what I'm saying, Steve. Well, I, I mean, look, it's interesting because I'm sure that that's very much on your mind today. I mean, you know, everything that's, that's on your mind today with, you know, the news out of Louisville. And then I'm just watching a fucking thing where, you know, fucking that guy whose name I won't say was literally saying, you know, they asked him about a transfer of power. And he's like, I won't say I agree to that. I mean, basically, he's admitting that he's trying to stack the Supreme Court for the sake of stealing the election. He's flat out saying it, you know. So, I mean... It's interesting because, you know, tying it in with the music, I mean, you know, it's like, I mean, from the moment, you know, it's, I've talked about this with a lot of people, how prophetic things feel in 2020. And I know a lot of this was written during this time, but I mean, it's funny because even a song like When the Grid Go Down, you know, from the opening, I don't know when that song was written and yet it feels like it's actually coming to November 3rd. Yeah, well, that, it, the, the, the title and the title track of the album was one of those situations that was made in the last four months. And um, it was, and basically, it boils down to just basically say, beware of government tricks to election. That's all I'm saying. It's like it uses the platform, Steve, of recording into making a concise statement. So if you look through the album for all kinds of, you know, uh, Easter eggs that's going to actually give you the roadmap to the next 10 years, I don't think you're going to find it there. It's right there, right in front of your face ask the question to everybody, what are you going to do when the grid goes down? We'll say beware of government's tricks. And I say government's plural, not government, because it's so much mishmash and so much interweaving and interlocking that the only thing you could point to it is saying there's the 1% that is the few at the expense of the 99%, which is the many. And not to even measure it by money, but to measure it by, by directives and narratives that's already zooming into another place looking for people to follow. So that's what the album title implies, that you have to be prepared for potential government fuckery throwing you off your focus. Well, it's so interesting. He's even written in the last four months, dude. It's like even, even, even four months ago just feels so different than, you know, as we get closer to the election, you know, what's coming or what we now see happening. So it's interesting how prophetic it still becomes because again, even, even if you wrote this song in what, it's September. So if you wrote the song in May, even in May, dude, we had no anticipation for how fucked up this election was. I, I mean, I guess some people did and you maybe did. But I mean, it's, it's just, you know, the overt blatantness of it feels so different in September than it did in May. Bro, we heading into red October, man. We don't know what's happening, man, next week, man. So this is what I'm saying. It's that, and somebody might say, are you scared? Are you nervous? Those are wrong terms to use. And I'm not trying to throw no macho chest at it either. I'm saying that 
it is dire concern knowing that fascism and with a new face is not only around the corner, but it's up the block sitting and waiting for you to come up the block. So that is scary, but we're pointing it out right now that the only thing that can stop it is a collective movement of force. And there's no time for micro differences, Steve. No zero fucking time for micro differences. Right now, as a black person living in the United States of America who considers himself an earthercent, but I ain't been outside the country uh, anyway. Not to say I've been trying to get out of the country because I already made my mark around the world in the last two years. It makes me feel kind of like I'm catching a good breather. But I would tell you this is that in in this state of time of, of, of unpredictability, no time for micro differences. It's the side that hates you versus the side that you're on. And when they say that, and I said the ubiquitous they, those that wave a flag in the belief that our lives don't matter or that our lives matter less than, then that's spreading hatred. That's spreading all those isms and ills that we always hoped and wished that culture could kind of like fight against or hold back against or clarify so it can hold it back. You know, you got to fight the power for peace. You got to fight the power for equality and justice. Yes, it's not throwing a, a, a Molotov all the time or a brick through a plain glass window. That's what you call youthful, unbridled energy that could be directed and talked to. But if they see that even what they try to get their directives from or counseling or guidance from is being disrespected, they're going to go and do what youthful energy does, which is like, well, fuck it. I'll set my clothes on fire. And I don't know what's at the end of this. All I know is that it'll be unexpected because I'm going to do the unexpected because I'm getting the unexpected. So, yeah, 42 days, man, down to November 3rd, man. It's what you call, it's the haunted house ride, man. But it ain't no game. It's the haunted house ride. Get on the haunted house ride. The only thing that can stop that haunted house ride is the whole group of riders and the person that at a different vantage point says, stop that fucking train now. Well, that ties in so interestingly. So one of the reasons I was so excited to speak with you is because what I found in the last few months, there are three songs that I found that have been that are sort of the defining protest songs of this generation. They're the, the two artists that have been mentioned the most and as an artist were both, um, interestingly, Bob Marley and Nina Simone. And then the three songs that have been cited the most are Ohio by CSNNY. Um I'm now totally drawing a blank on the other one. And of course, Fight the Power. So mm. it's, and I mean, by, by a wide margin, you know, those, those are the three, the, the two songs. And now I completely fucking threw a brain, brain fart on the other one. It will come back well, to there, me. Well, well, there's plenty of songs, there's plenty of songs that rank. But, but, but Steve. What's going on? I'm sorry. What's Hold on. going on? I didn't mean to okay. cut you off. What's going right. on is the other one, of course. Okay. How can I, okay. I, I feel so lame to have, you know, forgotten no. that but those are those are the three songs so of course you know i'm excited to get your picks but also 
to talk to you about the role of music in, as you put the haunted house ride, because again, you know, your music is inspiring a generation of, of artists. I think that we understand it's the second fight to power. The one that came out this year, the remix was put together by Questlove, was the third fight the power, if you want to say so. Because I kind of, it spoke to the moment. Right now, although I'm a firm believer of protest songs speaking to the moment without going back into an older song, but when I did Fight the Power in 1989, understand how much I was influenced in 1975 by the Isley Brothers. So that obviously is the first record. If I had a name on your list, Fight the Power by the Isley Brothers in 1975 was a record that moved me. And in 1989, when we decided to make the second Fight the Power, it was to draw all the, the energy and sentiment from that time and that record, although it wasn't a cover, but it said, we got to fight the powers that be. So it spoke to the same, and it was 14... 15 years apart and then um, now we're going into another thing which is 30 years apart so when per people come and say like wow are you kind of discouraged or dismayed that there hasn't been any change that the song is still relevant is it bittersweet and I said no because the biggest difference between 1989 and 1990 and 2020 is that people have been born and people have died so you don't have a lot of people who were back then on the moment who can actually, you know, um, kind of break it down for the masses that just thinks it's a, you know, throw a Molotov in the air protest song. You had an older generation that was able to break down what Fight the Power was and was able to give some directives and some narratives at that particular time. So coincidentally, Public Enemy and myself being 60, you know, if a person is going to ask me what fight the power means, now I'm that old head that's able to give some guidance, uh, wisdom, understanding, as well as a co-writer of the song. But Ernie Isley is still here. <laughs> so he's a co-writer of the first uh, fight the power. And, um, and I'm honored to be able to answer uh, truth to power with the song. So, I mean, that's, that's something that, that I would make very clear and, and basic. Well, it, it's so interesting. I mean, you know, talk about then as you redid it for 2020, and it's a fascinating thing, you know, doing it with the new perspective you have of being 30 years older. And obviously things have changed. And, you know, I mean, that's one of the really interesting things about doing the show. And it's like I had Ben Harper on this morning and we were talking about it. And it's like, you know, you look at, again, what's going on. That which was just named Rolling Stone's greatest album of all time, you know, that's that's 50th anniversary is in six, eight months. And that song still feels like it was written and, you know, this week, you know, so I mean, that's part of it is great protest music or great songs, you know, have a timelessness that unfortunately, like you say, you know, people ask you if it's bittersweet. I mean, but it, there is a bittersweet that these songs that we can't just appreciate them for the great music and that you're still looking at them as being sort of statements of what's happening right now. Well, what's going on is not just, a, you know, protests against human beings and the structures and the powers that be, but it's also man looking at himself in the mirror. Uh, and I say man, because usually I think a lot of this problem is men and testosterone. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> well, I mean, look at what happened at the beginning of coronavirus and the countries that actually handled it best were all run by women. Yep. And I believe one of the one of the biggest glitches in the world right now is the fact that people look to structures being run like it was in the 16 and 1700s and think it could work in the 21st century. They got to be out of their goddamn mind. Well, I mean, you know, unfortunately what we've seen is there are a lot of people out of their goddamn mind. Yeah. You know, and I, I think that's, that's so much a part of what's happened. It's so much a part of the problem is the reality is, is that, you know, a lot of people are afraid of letting go of their structure and letting go of their power and, you know, what they may, what they believe is their power. Well, it comes with greed, trying to take everything with you. <laughs> I think it's you partly can't. greed, and I think it's also partly fear and insecurity of just being afraid of new things. Well, you're afraid of new things because you know you can't bring the old shit with you. Yeah. I mean, let's tie this out. I'm curious, though, what, what, what would be another one or two of your favorite protest songs or the songs that inspire you? Because, again, I like the fact, by the way, that you, you gave credit to the Isley Brothers because Shepard, being a total music geek like me, you know, he was the only one who actually referenced that Fight the Power came from the Isley Brothers song. Yeah, it wasn't a cover, but it was inspired yeah. by. Yeah. Um, another record, of course, I mean, obvious. I'm going to lay some obvious ones and then in our conversation, we could probably, I wouldn't go um, desert classic deep on you. I mean, why? Why even do that? But um, how could I go wrong with Get Up Stand Up? Yeah. Um, there's another song that I happen to make in another mode, but Bob Marley, Get Up Stand Up. Stand Up For Your Rights. You know, don't give up the fight. I mean, duh. How old were you the first time you heard that? Do you remember? 12, 13, and I wasn't too open. To, I mean, the first Bob Marley song that I got turned on to was um, I Shout to Cheryl. Interesting. And that came through Eric Clapton. So Bob Marley and the Whalers was, you know, it was Jamaican music. So growing up in New York, it was always there. But, you know, we're soul, R&B, disco, then later on rap music. And reggae had a slow momentum growth into that as it helped form hip-hop music. But I wasn't open to that at 15 and 16 as I was at 30 and 32. And even more so at 40 and 42. So Get Up Stand Up was still around. And you, also, you knew what it was without following the music. Yeah. Well, it's so interesting you say that because, I mean, I think that, you know, I just was fortunate to speak to Toots Hibbert, who we just lost, unfortunately. And, you right. know, I mean, you know, you look at that role that reggae played in, in sort of shaping, you know, and, and, you know, I mean, that's one of the cool things that you see in doing a show like this and talking to so many diverse and interesting people is the way that the music is passed down and the lineage of, of you know, I wouldn't even call it great protest songs, but just great songs is passed down from generation to generation and it's taken up by the next artist, you know, like I was talking to Carlos Santana about how, you know, he's taken the lessons of the 50s and the 60s and, you know, working with Miles Davis and working, you know, with like, and, you know, John Coltrane and, you know, Woody Guthrie and people like that. So it's interesting for you when you look at them, like you say, you weren't too open to it when you were 15, 16, but you got more open to it as 30, 32 and even more open to it at 40, 42. So when you look at an album 
you know, like this one, talk about how you feel those, those sort of influences of that great music before you that, you know, and again, we mentioned like, you know, Marvin Gaye is one I mentioned. I mean, I think of an artist like Sly and the Family Stone, like Curtis Mayfield, like, you right. know, there's so many great, 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 you know, artists who then came into it, you know? So, I mean, when you hear like what you got to do when the grid goes down, are there particular, you know, sort of elements of these artists before you that you feel you became more open to and more, you know? Well, I yeah. thought George, I thought George Clinton, his whole career was a protest. You know, he was, he was introducing us to a, a planet that was a better place, a universe of a better place. So a lot of people reach out to George Clinton for his funk, but we reached out to George Clinton for his funkosophy, his visionary, futuristic look on life and, and, and how to coexist on this planet. And so that's how we looked at George, Uncle George Clinton. And that was very helpful to go about it that way. I love that dude, man. He also gave me one of the best headlines of all time. One of the, I've interviewed him a few times for Forbes and he was talking about the Medicaid, like, you know, the prescription drug problem. And he called it one nation under sedation. Just in one line, <laughs> summed up an entire country. Well, that's why we reached out to Uncle George because he, he, he delivered, he delivered the liners to us to open up this album. What you going to do when the grid goes down and you couldn't top that. What a no, I mean, back. Yeah. I also love, by the way, too, the, you know, um, I suck with titles because I listen to everything all the way through. So, oh, yeah, Public Enemy number one. I mean, just as an old fan, it's like, it's cool, you know, to sort of see that reference and to hear, you know, Mike and Adam back on a track. Right. And um, I'm so thankful that they agreed to give me a 60th year birthday present of me paying homage to them. And it was, you know, it was Mike and Adam and MCA and also... Jam Master J and Run and DMC, who dragged my Public Enemy number one, dragged the tape through Def Jam, which made Rick want to pursue me for two years. So that's where it came from. So going back to Def Jam, coincidentally, like was a revisitation into the into the beginning. Well, see, I love that too because I think as you get older, like it's funny. I've been talking with artists today about like I was interviewing Big Sean and we were talking about hometowns and stuff. But I also think that it applies to you know, places and it applies to just sort of a timeline in life as you get older, you do get a little more nostalgic for things. Or maybe like, I think what happens is, you know, as a kid, you try and go away from your hometown, from everything you know. And then as you get older, you appreciate that influence. So for you, was it important as at 60 to pay homage to that stuff, to pay homage both to Def Jam and also to those artists that were your friends and that you've lost? Yeah, of course. And, uh, you know, um, very important because you got to know your foundations. And at the same time, we have to look at in popular culture, at what point do we consider important great or greater than popularity? I mean, so what do you consider great or greater than popularity? I mean, for you, what's, you know, what are those things that, you know? Something that's, Im something that's important that might not speak to you this second, but might speak to you 10 years from now or next year. Well, I mean, it's funny because that goes back to what I was mentioning about Fight the Power being, you know, one of those songs that one of those three that's been the defining for artists. But I mean, you know, so it's interesting when you do a song, when you, okay, let me, let me, 
How do I want to phrase this? Because I, I already know the answer. I was going to say, when you do a song, do you know you've hit upon something special? But the reality is, as an artist, you can think you've done your best work and you're like, eh, it's cool. You know, and then someone else loves it. So for you, are you able to sort of step back and appreciate and see, you know, now when you look at an album like It Takes a Nation of Millions, you know, to see, look at it almost from an outside perspective and see why it's influenced a whole generation? Um, yeah, because I'm a curator of hip hop and rap music. So I'm able to understand that without delving too deep into it. I'm, I'm, I'm involved with knowing how those albums with records were put together from A to, to Z. But the more interesting thing is hearing the path that, that it's influenced. And the more interesting note is to be able to um, know what paths have created even greater works. Like Brad Nubian did an album called The Foundation in 1998 that was totally obscured. But they did a rendition of Say It Loud, I'm Black and I'm Proud that, that never has left my soundtrack. And nobody talks about that album with Arista as much as the, their founding albums. And nobody even gets into the, the legacy of, of, of each one of these songs and, and records on that album. And when they just say it loud, I'm Black and I'm Proud by James Brown, I was like, oh my God, this is the perfect synergy between a, 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 rap, a rap artist, a rap group, and James Brown. I just thought it was amazing. Well, it's interesting then for you. I mean, it's funny if there was a, a one or two songs that, I mean, obviously we talked about the fact that Fight the Power comes from the Isley Brothers. As you say, it wasn't a remake, but it inspired the song. I'm curious as you get older and you look at other songs that, you know, maybe you didn't appreciate as much when you were younger that you have a history with or an appreciation. Are there one or two songs that come to mind for you where you feel like, all right, that would be that perfect synergy for you, you know? Um, the perfect synergy for me to what? Figuring out, I, I, I'm trying to get that question, Steve. Oh I yeah, mean, well the perfect synergy, like you said, with Brand Nubian and, and James Brown and how it was the perfect synergy between rap group and, you know, James Brown. So is there that, per, there one song for you that you feel like there would be the perfect synergy for Public Enemy to either do or just that you feel like now sort of lends itself to that perfect synergy, whether someone else does it? Um, I thought that Steve Berkowitz from Sony, good friend Steve Berkowitz over at Sony Legacy, early on and back in the day, he tried to get me to see if I can actually nail Ball of Confusion by The Temptations. I couldn't nail it the way I was supposed to nail it back then. I think I can nail it better today. But it's a matter of seeing what you can do and what you can't do, what you shouldn't do and what you should do. And I didn't have that figured out back then, but I know the song, The Temptations are, are rapping. The track is bumping. And although I was a fan of the record when I was growing up, I didn't see, I didn't see the bridge between them two, or, or I didn't see me doing that bridge as well. But over the course of time of knowing what we can do and what we, what we could get away with doing, I see it now. Um, and that's, yes, yeah, that's truly, uh, a case, an example. So would you ever go back and do the song now? 
I'm trying to tell you, listen to that song right now. How could you not think that that's October 2020? All right. <laughs> I mean, damn, down and down to the flow. So the late Dennis Edwards is is spitting, and then all of them are rapping. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, that's the thing is like we talked about with some of these songs. I mean, are there one or two other songs and then we'll wrap up on the album? Because I also don't want to keep you too long because you've done 10 damn hours of press today. I'm sure you're brain fried. Um, but I mean, are there one or two other songs to you that when you think of that perfectly encapsulate like protest songs that perfectly encapsulate where we are right now that you think speak to the moment? I think there's some audacity when Curtis Mayfield Impressions saying this is my country. <laughs> I don't think Make America Great Again Red Hat wearers would try to hear that Yeah, that dude was such a badass How old were you when you first heard him? Uh, um, Curtis Mayfield Impressions? Yeah uh, Soundtrack of my life That song I remember hearing about like 10 years old Okay It's before Superfly It's before Superfly well, sorry, what I was just going to say, that's such an interesting thing to me because I've talked about this, like Ben Harper and I were talking about this this morning. And it's like, there are songs, because, you know, one of the songs he chose was Stevie Living in the City. And, you know, also he chose Marvin Gaye. And we talked about that. And those are songs that you can hear as a kid. And they just sound great. You don't necessarily understand the message. You know, like right. you mentioned with Bob Marley, Get Up, Stand Up. So I'm curious for you, did you understand the importance of what Curtis Mayfield was singing at the beginning? Or was it something that as you got older, you, it took on different meaning for you? Because, I mean, you can yeah. just hear it as a song. Yeah, like, you, you, song. you definitely got to hear that later on. You got to hear it across 40 years in order to get it. You got to hear it across 40 years. Because when I first heard it, you're like, what? And then even when you hear it, it might not adhere to your taste. So, I, yeah, definitely that, that was that about, uh, about this is my country. I was like, Curtis Mayfield Impressions did a whole bunch of different songs that made us stand up and salute. You know, we're a winner. That's an inspirational protest song. You know? Yeah. Um, you know, I think oh, that, uh, I think that when we get down to a song that you might never heard of that you might have to go find, uh, myself, Big Daddy Kane, X-Clan, many rap artists, we did a, a protest song called Close the Crack House. And you, okay. might, have to go, you might have to go search this record because I don't even know how it ended up. It might have been on Ireland, but it was like rap artists took a very concentrated effort on closing the crack houses in the United States in the, in the early 90s. And um, it was this was the anthem for that, close the crack house. So I got a verse on there. Nice. Well, I mean, you know, it's interesting for you. I mean, talk about, you know, and let's talk about, and it, this actually ties in with that is, you know, for you, talk about the spirit of collaboration on that song and then take it to this record. And I think that's one of the things is that, you know, I mentioned the Adam D and, you know, Adam and Mike track. And then also you mentioned George Clinton. And I mean, you know, what were you looking for in people you worked with on this? And, you know, talk about for you sort of that, you know, because it's funny, the last time we spoke, you and I was with mm. Prophets of Rage when you were doing, it was when you and Tom did that protest at LAX. Right, right. You know, well, so, I mean, you know, so you got to do that and then talk about how all that collaboration keeps music fresh for you and you, the things you learn working with different people or that you bring in getting to work with all these different people. Well, 
I think I learned from Tom that as you check the egos at the door, you have to have somebody where that has the ego less but strength to direct it into an end happening, a happenstance, an end result. So I learned from Tom, even when you could get into a room and collaborate, and if you don't come out with the collaboration, you're going to come out of there with something. And that's the beautiful aspect that, that if you could bring one half to the table, and even if the one half doesn't gel into a creative result, it can end up as a creative result in the same direction from somewhere else and somebody else. So that's where the ideas were put down first and then the collaborations were that much easier. I think when you have somebody collaborate, somebody got to lay down the idea. So they say, I got you. Like it was a beautiful thing doing great with, you know, myself, Flavor, George Clinton, and Be Real and Sin Dog. But you have to direct that. And once you direct that, and somebody's going to come back to the table, you know, and the interpretation that you gave them. To me, you have to always have a director of the collaboration. Um, it never really seriously sometimes goes well when you're too polite to each other trying to find the idea. With Profits and Rates, we, we had a lot of great ideas, but also at the end of the day, you know, people are too polite when it talks about finalizing the idea. And this is where Tom Morello comes in. Tom Morello would say, well, you know, at the end of the day, somebody's got to lead something. Somebody's got to be the closer. <laughs> you know, somebody's got to be the closer, you know. Um, often creators might call that person the bad guy, but somebody's got to close it. And in collaborations, you set the idea, people collaborate, they add the ideas to it, and then you close it out. That's so funny. The reason I was smiling as you were saying that is I think back to, you know, getting to talk to Serge Tankian from, so I did an interview with Serge Tankian from System of a Down and Brandon Boyd from Incubus together. Right. And, uh -huh. you know, so they're, they're talking about, you know, they're talking as one artist to another. And Serge had one of the greatest quotes of all time. He's like, don't you wish sometimes in a band that you could just say, you know, instead of trying to be nice, don't you just wish you could say fuck off and go on for a walk, you know? But in, in a band, you know, there is that, that dynamic where you have to be, you know, Polite and nice, but, you know. Well, yeah, I think um, the beautiful thing about Prophets of Rage is that we already knew coming in that it, it, everybody's coming now as an alpha male, so you, you got to go on your alpha maleness and, and designate your position. Sometimes, as like, for example, I designated my microphone position as microphone two with Be Real. I took the initiative to do that to make that road productive. Um, you have three players that have an alchemy with themselves, but some things might be bass-led, some things might have to be guitar-led, but then a turntable list comes into the table, and somebody's got to make a, a decision. Does the turntable replace the guitar? Or does the turntable replace the bass? So at the end of the day, you still have to have a closer, close it out. And um, that's the beautiful thing about learning even how to go further in the collaborations. I mean, doing Profits of Rage really cemented 
my vision on how to close out a collaboration with other people because because we we epitomize collaborations just to be in a group all right so we got to wrap up i just got the note from shaz so we'll we'll make these last two questions but one you know talk about then since that really cemented for you you know the you know collaboration how you then brought that into what do you do when the grid goes down you know and bringing in all these collaborations on this yeah, you know, a lot of times people, I think things are never, things that never like kind of like moved me was we got to get, you know, a, a marketing decision. We got to get all these guys to guest start to forward push and market this record into where it needs to be in relevance. And it didn't happen that way, Steve. It just happened to be that these, it just came together naturally and it ended up being, you know, five to six joints that happen to have <laughs> like our friends on it. It's like the, it's the Ringo star, just a little help for my friends thing. And <laughs> wasn't meant to like, okay, we're going to get this on this. So this could go forward. So you guys could use this for marketing. It didn't work like that, man. It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't about that. It, 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 if, any, if anything, it back ended in, into that, but it wasn't, it wasn't on the, um, it wasn't on the, on the, um, on the drafting table like that. So that's the honest truth. No, totally makes sense. And again, because I mean, from a you know from a listener standpoint, you can hear when something is organic versus okay, cool. We got to go out and get you know freaking you know whoever is like you know well, the big uh, an old school cat that bases themselves on listening could hear that, but I think thirty and under they listen too much with their eyes. So they, they'll miss a lot by, they don't listen in the same way, Steve. They listen too much with their eyes. And that's not a knock on them. Music is sight, sound, story, and style to them where when I guess we were coming up, music was listen to the music and then throw your imagination alongside it. Uh, newer generations don't have an imagination to throw alongside what they're listening to if they choose to listen. They, they listen with their eyes. No, absolutely. All right. So last question. When you listen to this album as a whole, what do you take from it? What do you hope others take from it? Because I mean, obviously, look, it's I was talking about this with people. You're making a record. It's kind of you're in the midst of it. You know, it's only when you go back and listen to it as a complete work that you get sort of the perspective on it. I think when you listen to this album, um, um, it's a fight the power, but you keep your slippers on. <laughs> you keep sandals on, man. As because if you look inside this record for answers to the revolution and where we should go, I don't think you can find it in there. It's just a bunch of Eastern eggs. The, way, the Easter eggs, the way we write anyway, generally write the same type of stuff all the time. But I think that there are more succinct ways to speak to revolution in recordings. But I think the Public Enemy is that sixth grade math teacher instead of that calculus or trigonometry or geometry teacher in the ninth, tenth, and eleventh grade? We, you know, we tell people, well, hey, yeah, go ahead if you feel that you want to convey truth to power in the way that you artistically do it. You go there, but everybody got to pass through sixth grade math first, and I think that's where we kind of stay in that area. I don't really get complex with the words or the wordologies or the philosophy wrapped around the word. I really kind of kind of break myself before I start going into seventh grade discussion. 
So I keep it to the point where you know it's math, you know you got to learn the basics, and these are the basics that you're going to use the rest of your life. That's different. When you, I don't know if you took calculus or trigonometry or geometry. No, I sucked at math. I was an English guy. Well, that's what I'm saying. But you had to take those classes in school, right? Yeah. That's no, what I'm saying. No, I mean, I didn't get that far, but yeah. You didn't get that far, but well, that's what I'm saying. Well, yeah. obviously you realize you ain't need them shits. <laughs> <laughs> but, you need, but you need sixth grade math, don't, don't you? Yeah. You know, you know when you go to the store and you give a $20 bill and it costs $8 and they give you $4 back, you know you've been fucked. <laughs> <laughs> All right, one word answer because we got to wrap up. I'm so curious. And uh, you may not be able to answer this. I don't know. For you, if you had to pick, what is the greatest protest song? of? Let's rephrase it. If you're doing a, you're doing a show, it's you, Morello, it's Bob Marley. It's, you know, like, you know, this is hypothetical. You have all the great, you know, artists on one stage. What's the, what's the finale? What's the one song that everybody jams on to close out the show? Depending on the time, but a song that I think I always wanted to do that plays in my blood, War. All right. Yeah. yeah. Edwin nice. Starr, Temptations, Bruce Sting, Springsteen later. War is serious. And everybody said, oh, man, I'll go to war. I don't you don't want war, man. Seriously, nobody wants war, man. I was talking to the people. I was in Beirut. I was talking to a line, uh, people that just came off a 20-mile line of walking from Syria, telling me how they had to pick food through fucking rubble for their children. I'm like, yo, man, people talk war in the United States. Have no fucking idea, man. You don't want that, man. No. Fight, for, fight for peace, man. And that's a great wrap-up note. So anything you want to add I didn't ask you about? Um, yeah, be prepared at all times. Being woke is uh, opposite of being asleep. Cool. Always a pleasure right. to speak to you, man. Thanks so much for your time. Likewise, Steve. Appreciate you. All right. Have a good one. Thanks. Bye. Right. Hey, this is Steve Walton, and you have been listening to People Have the Power with special guest Chuck D. Hope you enjoyed this as much as we did. Thanks. Power. We got to fight the power that beats. I'm the rhythm designer, I'm protecting.